The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Cam Smith leading things off. Earned a walk earlier and tattooed that ball out to right. Forget it! ABC, you ball. That ball was crushed to right field by Cam Smith. Does a great job of staying inside that ball and finding the barrel. And this kid is humongous. He's not going to miss too many balls. And, and that's one right there that probably traveled a good 400 feet. I'm not. Baseball is underway with a sweep and softball is rolling. It is a very good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here and you are there at 7.01 on this President's Day Monday night. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, WVFS, Tallahassee. Streaming online anywhere in the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. Tomahawk Talk has a show available the next day as a podcast. Wherever you find them, we've got a great show in store for today. The the call that you heard at the top of the program that Cam Smith uh, home run yesterday, courtesy of, of the ACC Network and all those Folks, he had quite a debut in the Garnet and Gold. Also, softball with a uh, hot start to their season. They played some major opponents down in the Clearwater Invitational. We'll tell you everything that you need to know about that, in addition to some updates on FSU men's and women's basketball. Men's uh, have lost now, I think, four or five games in a row. Really tough end to their season. Women's basketball had their their home finale, their senior day, and they're still vying for potentially hosting the first round of the NCAA tournament, still ranked in the top 25. So lots to uh, discuss there. Hope all is well. You can call the program and talk with us about such things at 850-644-1837 at VD9Sports on Twitter and Instagram as well. And I'm going to start off by saying this before we get into introductions. I don't care what the groundhog says. I don't care if he sees his shadow or not. Winter is over. The spring is here. It's going to be 85 degrees in Tallahassee this week. The football season is over. Super Bowl uh, last week and now baseball in our lives. It's officially springtime. I'm going to miss the cold weather, but uh, excited for for what this new season will bring and glad to have you along the ride uh, on this Monday night here on Tomahawk Talk. So to introduce you to the crew, That'll be taking us through the show tonight, starting off, as always, co-host to my left, Mr. Jackson Bake. It's Jackson. Good to see you. It's good to see you as well, William, once again. Uh, thank you for having me back on to uh, co-host this show with you. It surely is a blessing. No, you know, I'll tell you what. If I was doing any better, William, I, I know you didn't ask exactly how I was doing. You just, you know, introduced me. But if you did ask me how I was doing, I would tell you, hey, William, if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. So uh, it, it, it really is... A, uh, a great time to go to Florida State University, the Florida State University, as you know, the the spring air is in our midst, and uh, both teams on the diamond um, in their respective places right along uh, Stadium Drive there are uh, in full swing. So it's excited. It's really exciting, you know, to uh, really enjoy this moment as a student. It's going to be an interesting time for you and I. We've co-hosted this show since about late April, early May, and everything that we've done, it's been a lot of football and basketball, and I like to think we've done a good job with those shows, but I think at our core, me and you are big into into the baseball, and so a big-time season for Florida State here with Link Jared in year one. It's going to be exciting uh, to cover this, this new season. Yeah, hail to the new chief on President's Day. Yeah, there you go. That's a great call there. Wanted to just make another quick mention before we move along. I know uh, your your work in the journalism world that you do with the the Floridian. You actually did a story about uh, a new NIL bill that was passed in the state of Florida. You've probably seen it on social media at the the governor's office of Ron DeSantis, officials from Florida State and UF Athletics, because it's going to be a big deal for. Uh, the state of Florida moving forward. So if you could just tell us a little bit about the work that you did with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not very often where politics and sports, at least in my field, um, I can write about a story which it, it you know, satiates both uh, kind of groups there. But um, basically this, this new NIL legislation, um, I guess the, the main point of it is it, it gives institutions um, protection from, so for instance, if a player... Uh, gets an NIL deal with a uh, a collective or a booster or, or what have you or or 
a business and that, you know, that coach decides to bench that player, um, you know, the school's not liable. But probably the, the, the absolute biggest uh, result of this new legislation is that uh, as long as coaches and, you know, inst- you know institutional staff are not uh, directly involved with, you know, the payment process of these NIL deals, they can actually be a part of that negotiation process. Um, I don't want to, you know, um, basically they, they can now um, – kind of talk about it they can be a little bit more open about it they're not not necessarily part of that group they're not part of that collective or a booster program whatever you want to call it but um they can be more directly involved uh so if for instance you know at uf they had the whole Jaden rashada situation um and so you know that was kind of out of billy napier's hands but nowadays uh it's a little bit more of a an open process on both ends you got to think that's most likely something that'll be in the long run advantageous for Florida State. I think they've been so crafty in the name, image, likeness realm, also in the transfer portal, which is a very connected uh, to to NIL money, especially if you've been following college basketball specifically this year. So yeah, that'll be a good topic maybe for the summer and the months beyond, because uh, whether we like it or not, this is going to be a part of, of college sports for the long haul. And so any development that comes is, is going to be a big deal. So Jackson, glad to have you along for the ride, the two panelists to my right. I'll start with you, Maddie Branning. Glad to have you along for your first time uh, appearance on Tomahawk Talk, one of our sports correspondents here at VD9. And uh, really excited because you actually went down to Clearwater, my hometown, to watch uh, some Florida State softball. So thanks for coming on the show. And uh, how was, how was uh, getting to see Florida State softball play some big-time games here this past weekend? Oh, it was really exciting. I've been following the team for the past few years, and so finally getting to go down and see this elite tournament was extremely exciting. It was a really fun opportunity, and I came back with a little bit of cheering-induced laryngitis and a really nasty sunburn, but it was an overall really good experience, and it was a great way to see the girls take on, I'd say, probably the first bit of challenge this season that they've faced. Well, I definitely, yeah, this is going to be an exciting time to really dig into softball the first time this year, but just for my own vanity, I'd like to hear Clearwater as a town how did it live up did you go to the beach did you do anything nice there I mean I my high school is probably a couple minutes down the road from the the park where they played so uh, how was it as an area to be honest we didn't do too much touring (laughs) we were really focused on um hotel park hotel maybe find something to eat in between but um I really liked it I got a great view of the airport (laughs) because that is where we stayed so we heard a lot of planes taking off so that was very atmospheric I'd say but uh, uh, overall I'd say I really liked it I was loving the temperature down there I haven't been liking how it's just been cool here in Tallahassee so I got a nice good 80 degree felt like 87 there so that was very nice I've been waiting for that weather but um, I loved it it was great it seems like no matter what time of year in that part of like Tampa Bay area, 80 degrees year round, no matter what. It's whether you love her or you hate it, it's it's there. Well, Tampa, you know, West Coast general in Florida. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of their beaches, William. I just don't like their oh, beaches. Man. Everybody talks about <laughs> oh, the West no. Coast uh, beaches in Florida. Yeah, they're they're nicer, I guess, in terms of the sand. That's what you're into. But there's no waves, man. I'm not, you know, a Calabunga guy, but there's no waves. I don't even know enough to tell you. All I know is just as a Clearwater born and bred, we love to wear that Clearwater Beach, one of the top. Mm-hmm. Some have it number one as far as beaches in America. Yeah, we won't, maybe we'll save that <laughs> for another time. Like, but yeah, some okay, some some talk about that at the top of the show. Rounding out the crew tonight, Amanda Golson. Really excited to have you back. Some great insight and multiple fronts for you. Not only. Are you a part of Batgirls for FSU Baseball, but also now sideline reporting for for ACC Network broadcast? I know you've already done uh, some softball games. I'm sure you'll do some baseball along the ride, but uh, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. What a great time of the year. I'm. It's been a while since I've been this excited about Florida State Baseball, um, especially with my position with the team. Kind of seeing all this unravel firsthand has been really cool, and uh, I'm so excited for this season. I mean, what a great start. We'll get into this later, but opening weekend was nothing short of spectacular. It was a great way to start the season. And softball, too. Yeah, I mean, I got I did my first sideline, the FAMU doubleheader, last Tuesday, which was 
I mean, they run-ruled him on both games, so it's quick two games, but it was a great experience, so I'm definitely excited to do more softball and hopefully get on the baseball field. Very nice. A reminder to our all, all of our listeners, you can call the show 850-644-1837 at VD9Sports on Twitter and Instagram, talking all Florida State. Up until 8 o'clock, where there will be new release on uh, WVFS, but let's get into the baseball side of things. First, start 3-0, and a weekend sweep of James Madison. I believe they, uh, Florida State swept him last year as well, but a really nice look to begin the year in 2023. Uh, Friday, it was an evening, 5 p.m., first pitch, and all the, the pomp and circumstance that comes with opening day. Uh, all the, the, the big figures in Tallahassee out, Mike Norvell uh, put on the gray hoodie and, and even threw out the first pitch. Uh, athletic director Alford was in attendance, as was the governor of Florida. Ron DeSantis was there in the park. And, of course, all the, the honoring of, of Link Jarrett coming back to Tallahassee uh, in his first game as as head coach. I think we can start here. That first pitch from Mike Norvell, that was pretty strong, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And you said pre, uh, pre-show pre it was like the, the George Bush post-9-11 um, first pitch. And, you know, I... It wasn't possible, you know. It wasn't as monumental as that one, but it may have been faster and it may have been more down the middle. It was, it was a great, great throw by uh, by Coach Norvell there. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I definitely did not compare it in terms of of stakes or anything else like that. If you've heard about that story for George Bush, if you haven't, definitely look it up because it's one of the coolest first pitches ever. But that's that's one of the things we love about about Coach Norvell is it's not just the success on the field and all these things, but it just you put him on the pitching mound for opening day, he's going to throw a strike off the rubber right down the middle. That's another thing, off the rubber. I think yeah. that's, that's understated. A lot of guys will go in front of the mound. No, he was like, no, I'll, I'll, give me all 60 feet and 6 inches. I'll, 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 give, you a, I'll give you a strike. That, that was real impressive. And I before we can even get into the game, the field, the playing field at Dick Houser Stadium looked a lot different. Head coach Link Jarrett coming in, and, and he was – uh, pretty explicit about a lot of changes that he wanted to make. I know they replaced whatever the type of grass is in the outfield and down uh, the the far part of the the foul lines. Of course, the the kind of down the baselines up until the base in foul territory is all artificial turf. And they replaced it. It was it's still turf. It was turf for a while, but they replaced that turf. It's a much more shinier kind of a newer look. And not only that, but what really stands out now the entire the home plate area. Home plate, both batters' boxes, that entire circle there, now all just brown-colored artificial turf uh, at at Link Jarrett's request. His reasoning for that is he wanted uh, more consistent hops off of that area in front of home plate uh, because he said when you have that clay area, as it dries out later on in the game, it's harder uh, consistency-wise for the infielders to know how to read those ground balls, so it, he's thinking maybe a tactical advantage, and he's all about uh, playing cleaner defense and limiting the strikeouts, that type of thing, just to give you an idea. But just as an optic, it's very weird. I can't imagine sliding into home plate is going to be a ton of fun either, but uh, it's a part of college baseball now. There's some fields, mound included, that's entirely in, in turf. So I think I guess we should at least be glad the outfield is grass. Well, I'll tell you what, from from my uh, playing days back in you know my, my glory days of my youth, um, I will say sl- I actually preferred sliding um, in turf. Uh, I know it's it's clay everywhere else on the field, but um, you know I, I preferred sliding um, on turf because if you're going feet first and you're wearing pants, you're not going to get that much of a, of a hard. You're not going to get any strawberries, what they're called, you know, on your knees. Um, and then if you're going head first, uh, it allows you, in my, from what I remember, it allows you to, to slide farther. Um, and so, therefore, you know, you slide faster if you're going to slide farther. Um, so that's a little bit of an advantage there. But from a, you know, I don't want to say traditionalist or, you know, this, I'm not a huge uh, field guy. I mean, I just didn't like playing on turf in terms of that. But for a batter's box, I think if it's going to be that much of an advantage, I don't think it's a horrible decision. Amanda, I know we're only three games into this, but all the players on really both sides, have you heard anything? Are the reviews in on the new uh, kind of field setup? I have not heard much, personally. Um, I mean, playing softball and baseball growing up, it's definitely weird. And I I was in JMU's dugout the second game, so I you know was running 
across it getting bats and it's weird to see at the end of the game it's still in perfect shape because I'm used to clay where the batter's box is disappeared by the first inning like we were talking about earlier um especially that's kind of a routine thing for guy a lot of floor state players before they walk up to the batter's box they'll draw something in the dirt they kick the dirt around that's a big routine thing for people before they hit and having to do that on turf has definitely been interesting to see a lot of the guys have kept their routine still whatever the impact it makes um in the turf is different than clay obviously but i mean if jared is this adamant about it obviously it's successful in his he, it's been successful for him so hoping he made the right decision not that it really affects me that much but We'll, I guess we'll see how it goes. That'll be one of the ultimate examples of if it works out and the team's playing well, everyone will love it. And then if things are going bad, everyone will, will hate it and be so sick of it. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up. I, even sometimes players that don't wear batting gloves will draw up some clay and kind of get it on their hands before they right. bat. So it's gonna, maybe it'll just throw opponents off their game. I, I don't know. We'll have to kind of keep tabs on that as a, a little underlying story. Maybe but. maybe they're saving money on laundry. <laughs> Less clay stains on the uniforms, especially them white and cream uniforms when everything shows. That's true. That's a good point. Looking at now in this Friday game, it was a 12-7 to win. Florida State opened up in front 7-1 to after three innings, but they needed some late-game insurance uh, to hold on. Barrett in relief gave up three earned runs. Stockton also gave up three runs, but none of them were earned. There were three errors in the game. I think at least a couple of them was um, uh, in the field. I think it was Jordan Carrion. Um, but Carson Montgomery getting the opening day start on the mound in his third year pitching for Florida State, and in this game, only about half of his 61 pitches were for strikes. A couple of wild pitches as well. Goes four innings, uh, allows a run on three hits and three walks as well. We'll open the discussion with this. Montgomery, a guy that came in his freshman year, highly touted as just a high school prospect, was a Sunday starter his first year. That ended up not really working out. I think he finished that season in the bullpen and then last year, he opened up as the, the weekday, kind of the Tuesday night starter. That didn't really work out either, an ERA of around five. And he ends up in, in the bullpen at the end of that season as well. And so two seasons that hasn't necessarily gone to plan, but just the way things have shaken out here with year one for Link Jarrett, he's now the, the Friday starter. We can talk about how much of that is is maybe just pressure of, of what's on you for a job like that or even just uh, the problems he's had in his career throwing strikes and now his third season with Florida State. Uh, 49 walks to 102 strikeouts. Not a great walk to strikeout ratio there. Um, so for Carson Montgomery, not a not an awesome, not a terrific start uh, on Friday night, his first outing of the year. Yeah, and you know when, when you look at the, the statistics here we have in front of us, uh, you know, thanks to our producer, Jack Oliaro, Jack behind the glass, uh, if you see us, um, you know, gave up three hits in four innings, which isn't horrible. Um, you know, gives up an earned run. Uh, but like you said, three walks to one strikeout. Um, not that that, not that his, his walk to strikeout ratio is going to be three to one the rest of the year, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like, uh, this incredible, and confidence that they have in Montgomery, you know, both both Meat and it seems like Jared has if they're going to throw him out, you know, first game of the year. Um, it's got to translate to the field. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else we can say. I mean, we've kind of seen this for the last couple of years. But, you know, it's an early season. You know, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button yet. But, uh, you know, something's got to it, – it's the strikes need to be there. Yeah. The strikes need to be there. And that's – you know, it's it's obviously easier said than done, but you know, at this level, you got to be able to put the ball over the plate with consistency. I think the rotation, when it was announced a couple of days before opening day, really shocked a lot of people. Not seeing names like Wyatt Crowell and you know Connor Whitaker in the starting position, um, that was a big shock to a lot of people, me included. And I was I was trying to be optimistic for Montgomery. Obviously, you know, it is opening day. There's a lot of baseball to be played and a lot of changes that can be made through this rotation throughout the season that um, Coach Jared has made pretty known that this probably isn't going to stick for the remainder of the season. And you think about it, last year's Friday starter is Parker Messick. What a name to have to, like, live up to. He was drafted, what, first round? Second, like, it was a second-round pick. Second, yeah. Parker... 
if you were an FSU baseball fan last year, you knew just how dominant Parker Messick was, and to have to live up to that is a big is a big deal. So it wasn't. I don't think it was a start a lot of people wanted. Um, also, it is opening day. There's a lot of nerves. Could be attributed to that. I'm just trying to remain patient, see what happens. Um, I think Jarrett will make changes when they need to be made, because um, he's you know he, first year head coach, a lot of new guys. He's still trying to figure out his roster. Um, so he's put in this position for a reason. So I believe he's going to make the right choice. I think there's a lot up in the air, not just with the starting rotation, but also the bullpen. We had Ryan Kelly on this show just a couple weeks ago, kind of previewing the baseball season, and that was before we knew Montgomery would be the Friday starter of all things. And Ryan said, yeah, Carson Montgomery, just in two years we've seen him, he's just a guy that's better suited for the bullpen. Maybe he's a closer. And we may see that at some point this year, and important to keep in mind at the college baseball level. Guys that top out at 98 with the fastball do not grow on trees. So obviously the, the time, investment, and the patience with him is comes kind of at that because if he's rolling – he, you know, Parker Messick kind of set the example last season for when a guy is really going uh, as a starter, what that can do for your team. So we'll 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 keep an eye on his next couple starts and how that goes. The schedule uh, stays pretty easy. JMU, I don't, I mean, the scores were the final scores were high scoring, but JMU not really there on either side, uh, pitching or or really with the bats. Uh, Wyatt Crowell, who Amanda mentioned, we thought potentially in the starting rotation is in relief mainly because the bullpen just needs guys. And, and Crowell, one of the best arms in the team, throws two and two-thirds uh, shutout in relief, uh, just a walk and a hit-by-pitch with four strikeouts. And then a, a, a debut in the field that was great for Diamas Ross, uh, making his Florida State debut as a freshman, started in center field, hit leadoff. I believe he did that all weekend, so that's yeah. a that's a pretty big spot uh, for Ross. And in his first game, goes three for five with three runs batted in, two for two in stolen bases. I know we're just three games in, but Ross looks like a heck of a ball player. He surprised me. Out of almost all of the guys on this team, he surprised me the most. And seeing him come out with such confidence, like he's been doing this for years, was really it was great to see as a Florida State fan and just as a baseball fan, just seeing his potential, like you said, as a freshman. Um, I think he's capable of really big things and very excited to see what else he has in store. I mean, this freshman class is very talented, and there's a lot of them. So there's a lot of youth in this program, which is it's really exciting to see just for the future and even for this season. Yeah, some, some shakeups. I was just going through the roster after weekend number one. It's quite a diverse lineup, too. Ross hits from the left side. Uh, if DeSatis, uh, Colton Vincent, and Jordan Williams are all in the starting lineup, that's three switch hitters in there as well. So it's a hard uh, lineup to match up against and makes it tough on opponents. Especially with, I was also like watching the games, you got guys of varying heights in the starting lineup that and especially with switch hitters that makes it hard for opposing pitchers to find a consistent strike zone which is what I think Florida State capitalized off of this weekend um and JMU made so many pitching changes because their guys just couldn't find the strike zone um so I think that's a big advantage Florida State has Cam Smith one of the we'll touch on him later he's over six foot like he is a tall kid and I think Sebastian Jimenez he's also over six foot having these big guys um kind of sprinkled in the raw in the lineup it's hard for pitchers opposing pitchers it's gonna be it's gonna be a nightmare all, all season long i think well, yeah the, the 511 guys are really really short but anybody then you know six foot six <laughs> one they're just gargantuan you know just really really tall cam smith i will have you said he's six foot no he's over six yeah because he he's a he's a giant over there at third base and a really strong arm and yeah one heck of a bat too in his his first weekend uh, so it was 12 to seven the win on Friday. Saturday it was a five to one win. It was tied one apiece after five innings. So it looked like it was going to be uh, a little bit of a slugfest there. But then breaking out of it in the late stages, Colton Vincent with his first career home run, then a two RBI single from Jaime Ferrer uh, to take the lead. Uh, the lineup five walks to just four strikeouts that was big for the team and that was something that link jared has harped on since he's he's arrived uh, it was on the mound a tandem start for for florida state uh, jackson bowmeister four innings scoreless to open the ball game on just two hits he walked two and, and struck out five and then connor whitaker finishing the game out goes the remaining five innings uh, uh scoreless as well zero earned runs there was an unearned run in there somewhere obviously uh, five hits allowed and four strikeouts. 
So that was a, a good game all around. We'll st- Col- Colton Vincent at the catcher position. I was surprised we did not see McGuire Holbrook all weekend long. I, I really thought he was going to be the starting catcher this year coming over as a transfer from West Virginia. He was an all-Big 12 player there. And Colton Vincent was about a 200 hitter last year. Not a great season. Uh, for the first time since he was in Juco, he's switch hitting and perhaps that's opened up things a little bit for him, but uh, I think we can all speak to it. He he really did himself some favors uh, this weekend. Yeah, and a big home run, obviously, in a in a tight spot. That's only going to increase your confidence. So, um, you know, especially from hitting both sides of the plate, there's obviously something that they see in him that uh, they're trying to you know do anything to to get that batting average up. And um, what a way to start with a home run <laughs> um, to to get those those juices flowing. And he looks solid behind the plate, too. Like you said, I mean, you've got guys like Holbrook that could easily take his position, but, I mean, he looked solid. He, I don't really recall seeing a lot of balls get by him. He had a lot of throwdowns. Like, I think he set some record um, this past weekend. But, yeah, I mean, what a weekend for Colton. I mean, good for him. He's, what, a grad student, I think, because I'm pretty sure he graduated last year. So for him to come out and kind of his last – probably his last go-around, kick off the season with a home run, I mean – no better way to do that. JMU was just one for five stealing bases, so you're right. I mean, throw, throwing out four four base runners, there was a lot of outs on the bases for both teams. That was something for Florida State fans kind of giving flashbacks the last couple of years, some guys being picked off first base and, and things of that nature. Expect that to be cleaned up, though, as the season goes along. So five to one on Saturday, and then closing it out on Sunday with a huge win, filling up the box score. 17 to 10 uh, is the final score. It was Arnold on the mound, Jamie Ar- Arnold, the left-hander, uh, the freshman, making his Florida State debut, starting the ball game, uh, three runs allowed and two and two-thirds. It was uh, kind of another bullpen day. Doug Kirkland came in afterwards, comes off Tommy John surgery, did not pitch, I think, in 2022 or 21, uh, but, a, but a fastball that really sits mid to upper 90s was really, uh, hitters were struggling with it big time. Pitched two and a third and was able to get the win. I think he'll be big out of the bullpen. And then James Tibbs, one of the guys that we pointed to as a returning player coming into the season. They move him over to first base, especially the game on Friday. You could tell that was a new position for him on where what he was supposed to do on given plays and when to come off the bag and things, things of that nature. But uh, Sunday was really his breakout game. Goes four for four and drives in three runs. And then the call that you heard to begin the show, Cam Smith uh, with his first home run. Uh, on Friday, he hit a ball to the deepest part of the park, to dead center. I think it's 400 feet out there. And it was maybe a foot, six inches away from being a home run, ended up being a triple. Uh, so that kind of gave you a hint of things to come, but then was able to get that home run on Sunday. Uh, quite a start for him. So lots to talk about for Sunday um, with a 17-10 to 10 win. Well, just to you know, acknowledge Tibbs. I I, I don't I feel bad for him because I don't feel bad for him. But but you know I understand him. Um, people think first base is easy. You know, growing up playing first base, sometimes it can be a different language. It, it's it's uh, it can be a pretty complicated. Um, not always, but you know I mean you're another infielder. Uh, you know when you got to hold guys, when you got to play back. Sometimes if you have a, if you have a back pick. Um, you're always thinking about different situations. You know, what am I doing if the ball comes to me? What am I doing if it doesn't? Um, but we do know that guys like Tibbs, they can mash. They can just absolutely hit the you-know-what out of the ball. So uh, expect him to have a big year this year. Yeah, for him coming off shoulder surgery, um, having such a great weekend, I think that does wonders for your confidence. Not that confidence was ever an issue with him, but it's great to see him back out there and healthy, um, especially – him being at first base and him being such a leader, I think that's going to be good for the entire field where you've got freshmen in the infield. And I think just his his leadership presence is going to be huge um, regardless of, um, you know, how he does. But I do think he, like you said, as the weekend per- went on, he was starting to look more comfortable at first. And, you know, decision-making, that's huge. That's something that's he's going to learn with time. Um, but, I mean, I'm excited for him. I think first, I think it's going to be a good fit for him. You, you wonder if uh, he's getting that question, you know, hey, Tibbs, what's your biggest fear? And, you know, you wonder if he goes, you know, the ball being hit in my general direction, you know, <laughs> for those of you who have seen Moneyball. But, um, you know, if you're looking, it, probably the easiest transition, though, I will say, I'm not saying it is easy, but the easiest transition is 
from any position in baseball to first base. So, uh, you know, give it some time. And uh, like you said, he'll be he'll be pretty comfortable here in the next couple weeks. And to be fair to Tibbs as well, it's not like he was getting a lot of great throws from his fellow infielders. Yeah. I mean, Carrion yeah. struggled a bit. I mean, Smith, a big arm, but a couple of his throws made it tough for Tibbs as well. So, um, And then obviously Nander DeSantis coming back, spent last year at Mizzou, and, and uh, he's a player Florida State fans will remember he's back on the team uh, this year. Yeah, just to give you an idea of, of how the, the fielding went, uh, seven runs on the weekend were unearned. 18 runs, only 11 earned. So there was uh, a lot of base runners that maybe shouldn't have been on base and scoring on uh, some defensive plays, uh, but something that'll probably get cleaned up, we're hoping. And early on, I mean, that's a lot more pitches your pitchers are throwing due to the, yeah. all those unearned runs and all those unearned hits and, um, or excuse me, all those errors. Obviously, unearned hits don't exist. Um, <laughs> but y'all know what I meant. Um, but, yeah, early on, I mean, you, you want to, you know, be very consistent in terms of keeping those those uh, those pitch counts low, and so that's definitely not going to help you. So something you got to monitor uh, for the remainder of the season for sure. There's a lot of candidates, a lot of people that made a name for themselves in the sweep against JMU. The question I'll ask to all of you now, and maybe even to those of you listening at, at home at 850-644-1837, is who won the weekend? Pick a guy. It could be a player, a coach, uh, any position, whatever you want, and, and why. I have to go to Diamond's Ross. I mean, um, looking at it here, you know, he's already batting 357. Um, score, he had five hits, scored five runs. Um, RBIs, too. I mean, if if you have the triple threat of hits, runs, and RBIs, um, that's just uh, the total package in terms of producing for your team. So I have to go with Diamond's. I'm going to stick on my Tibbs train. Um he had such a good game Sunday, seeing that kind of firsthand. I was sitting on the right field or the right foul line. Seeing him operate on first base was is very inspiring coming off surgery for him. Um, I'd say either Tibbs or uh, Cam Smith. Those are my picks. Cam Smith definitely has to be among maybe the top of that list because as a freshman, all the hype in fall camp and preseason practice – you know he's hearing some of it. We talked before the show about his own personal fan club in the right field bleachers. I mean, that's a lot uh, to be going through and a, a lot that was on his shoulders. And, you know, 3-12 and 12 on the weekend, but ended up hitting for the cycle combined in those three games. Already the first home run under his belt, hitting the ball hard, fielding his third base position well. That was huge. Um, and, and this went a little under the radar for me, but really stood out uh, at the game on Sunday. Doug Kirkland out of the pen not having pitched in two years coming off Tommy John surgery. A bit of a question mark as far as how or if he'll stay healthy this year. But if he is healthy, a bullpen that definitely needs quality arms. I mean, it's right now the only people that really stood out to me out of the bullpen, Wyatt Crowell and and Doug Kirkland. You're going to need guys, and and that was a good weekend uh, for Kirkland to start things off. And obviously Link Jarrett, right? I mean, it was an easy opponent. JMU pitched very poorly. They're hitting not much better. Uh, but to to really, I mean, it was pretty full crowds at Dick Houser all weekend long and uh, a lot of pressure on the team to perform this year. It was a good start. Uh, I will um, p- put this as kind of a, a finishing mark as well. He talked a lot about, I think the way he put it is he challenged his team this year to go uh, between six at-bats uh, between strikeouts, which is impossible to do. It's not going to happen, but just as something to aim for. On the weekend, as a team, Florida State walked 19 and struck out only 15 times in three games. And in a day and age where 10 strikeouts a game is just kind of considered an automatic afterthought, I mean, that that walk-to-strike ratio is really positive, and we'll see uh, how that uh, mentality for the lineup uh, continues. Also, Cade Bush, just want to give him a quick shout-out. Only got five at-bats on the weekend, but hit the ball incredibly hard. Uh, even on foul balls, we're going almost all the way out of the park. Cade Bush. That's an NIL. I don't. I, I don't we'll have to ask. Or maybe we'll have to find out if, if alcohol NIL deals are allowed, if, especially if he's under 21. But getting him a Bush Light uh, NIL Bush. sponsorship would be terrific. So now looking at the road ahead uh, for this upcoming week, Whew, it's going to be interesting. On Tuesday, 6 p.m., it'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Hope you have that subscription if you want to watch Florida State baseball this year. They'll go to Jacksonville. 
uh, to play the Dolphins, who lost two of three this past weekend at home to Kent State. So that uh, Jacksonville gave Florida State some trouble last year, but obviously you'd like to see that get turned around. But then the real challenge will come this weekend in Fort Worth at what is now ranked number eight TCU. TCU is on top of the world right now. Their football team just went to the the national championship. Uh, their basketball team is ranked. Their baseball team is top ten. Uh, watch out for those Horn Frogs. They're two and one after the first weekend. They beat number ten Vanderbilt eleven to four in a neutral site, and number eight Arkansas eighteen to six. So they are. I mean, that's as about as hot of a start to a season as you could have. So. Just looking at the forecast, looks like Friday may get rained out. It's going to be kind of some intermittent rain and, and thunderstorms throughout the weekend, but uh, traditional Friday through Sunday weekend series. Anything else we want to add about uh, this upcoming week for the Knolls? This is going to be trial by fire, I think. The freshmen and the transfers are being thrown into this right off of opening weekend. This may be – I haven't really looked at the entire schedule. This might be one of their hardest series in the entire schedule, being the second series of the season – this is time to grow up, basically, for all these freshmen. I mean, this is it. This is the way to do it. I mean, if they're going in to Sunday with a chance to win the series um, and they keep it close, whether they win or lose on Sunday, um, you got to think that's that's a that's a that's a that's a win for Link Jarrett. I mean, you you don't like to think at Florida State that if you lose the series, there's a chance that there's you know a moral victory there. But um, you know, like you said, kind of a younger squad. Uh, Link Jarrett in his first year at Florida State, kind of coming back home. Um, like I said, if they keep it close on Sunday with a chance to win the series, who knows, maybe maybe they get Friday and Saturday, but um, with a chance to win the series on Sunday, you'd like to think that's a, uh, that's a good first road trip. A big-time challenge early on in the season, still uh, in February. So now let's move on to the other diamond sport, the softball team, Florida State now. Uh, I see her ranked number seven. I don't know if that's this week's poll, but right now they're nine and three overall after going three and two in the Clearwater Invitational uh, that we'll dive into. And, and we mentioned that that Maddie was there and, and got to see all those games. A lot of big time teams. I mean, Arizona, Arkansas, UCLA, Louisiana, and Alabama all were ranked in the top twenty-five uh, when they played Florida State, and some, you know, in the top ten. Uh, and higher. So it was one of the grueling challenges that they'll face this season, kind of getting a taste for, for maybe what this postseason has in store. Uh, but, Maddie, to kick us off, maybe just coming away from the weekend on your drive back up, one thing that stuck in your mind uh, as a takeaway from, from the five games that you watched? I would say um, from the five games, you can see that we still have a lot that we need to work on. We kind of got a, a good little head start with the teams that we played here in the Joanne Graf Classic, just some little unranked teams, Bobo teams. But then we had some real competition. We had our first look at, hey, what's out here in NCAA D1 softball? So I'd say we, we have a lot to work on. Uh, mainly, I'd say offensively. It's getting those runs when you need to, not just getting a head start and then trying to hold it, because there was a lot of that that we saw. They held a couple run lead, but then they lost at the end. It's consistently being able to adjust to new pitchers because that's what they had trouble with at the plate. Gotcha. So we'll start Thursday, uh, number 15, Arizona. The Knolls beat them 6-4. to four. Kat Sandercott getting the start. Or no, she actually came out in relief four and two-thirds. And then Mudge uh, with two runs batted in in the leadoff spot. Uh, tell us some about that, that opening win against Arizona. All right. So... This one was a little tough. You thought, hey, we're, we're ranked seventh. We were ranked fourth, but then we got knocked down a little bit by that Longwood loss. So we come in here. We're like, all right. I believe we started off with Allie Dubois. And no, I believe it was somebody else. But uh, we had an early start with three runs in the second and two in the third. But um, we only raised one run to Arizona's fourth. Uh, I Actually, it was Catherine Sandercock that started off here. That's our ace. She's ranked seventh um, in the preseason top 100 for both extra innings extra innings and d1 softball she's the girl to look out for and we started her off and she seemed to be doing pretty good but then they just got a four run run in the fourth inning so that causes a little bit of stress especially when you have your ace in but um what we saw we saw mckenna reed come in in the seventh inning throwing a three up three down inning with one strikeout pretty good but i mean it, it was a little scary that's what i was talking about a minute ago is fsu will get up gradually but then they're We'll just have a defensive error. Or for some reason, we've had a lot of these teams 
getting, we've seen that they've gotten pretty used to Sandra Cock. This is the girl that they're preparing for, and a lot of teams were hitting her when she's supposed to be this mythical, unhittable pitcher with this deadly rise ball. Everybody was getting a taste of her, even some freshmen this weekend, which is really dangerous for Florida State. And after that win on Friday afternoon, number four Arkansas, a nine to six win for the Knowles there. Mac Leonard started on the circle. She had allowed three runs before even recording an out. She comes out, Sandercock back in uh, in relief, and that one gets the last two innings of the game scoreless uh, to get the victory. Harding two for two, uh, a couple of doubles and a home run, three total runs driven in on the day. Uh, what, what's to know about the Arkansas win? So Arkansas was coming into this game 4-0. They were ranked fourth in the NCAA poll, I believe, or by D1 softball, whoever you choose to look at, because there's like 20 different people that you can look at, which is ridiculous <laughs> to me. But they're coming in 4-0, so this is a little scary. And they, FSU and Arkansas, we are each other's highest-ranked challenge so far. So it was everything on the line, high stakes. But um, we didn't start with Sandercock. I actually think we started with Ali Dubois for this game, which was – I was a little nervous about because we started with her in the Longwood game that we actually lost. She allowed four hits and four runs. So we started here with her, and Arkansas did capitalize on that. They took an early two-run lead with a double that brought in two RBIs. So that was a little bit of a scare because we really want to win this game. And we actually had a freshman superstar, McKenna Reed, come in for three innings. She only allowed one hit and one run while she was in. And then uh, in the fifth inning, we actually did come back with a – critical seven-run run um, and held on the Arkansas threat in both the sixth and seventh inning. They did make an attempt to come back. I believe they got one run and then three, but we were able to shut them down and end the game at the top of the seventh inning, which was really good. So that was a big win for FSU. So after the hot start, they, they get their first loss against number two UCLA Saturday, 6-4 to four score. Uh, after giving up three runs without an out the previous day, uh, Mac Leonard gets the start. Uh, four innings pitched, just one hit allowed, scoreless. Really good uh, pitching from her. Reed and Sandercock both allow three runs uh, out of the bullpen. Mudge in the leadoff spot again, doing some damage. Goes two for four, um, uh, and three runs batted in as well. Uh, but the first loss uh, picked up in in the weekend. Yeah, Mac the Knife is that is that the new nickname we should be going with? Mac the Knife for all those that you know listen to Sinatra growing up. You had those parents that showed you that timeless music. Uh, yeah, Mac the Knife getting it done both ways. Oh yeah, my mom and I like to say the uh, <laughs> the Mac Attack. That's Mac how we attack. that's how we like to go with it. Return of the Mac sometimes when she comes up to the plate for the second or third time. But uh, this UCLA game, I said the Arkansas game was one to watch out for. But I mean this UCLA game, the number two team right behind Oklahoma. This was the game that you wanted to watch. When I was there, my mom and I, we showed up like an hour before the park opened, and there was a line all the way down the sidewalk. We got in there. We got seats at the very, very end of the right field outfield. There were people standing, sitting under the bleachers. It was amazing. I mean, the event was oversold. But everybody was here for this game. UCLA was coming into it 10-0. We were coming off two ranked wins, so it was very exciting. It was the game to watch. We did start pitching Mac Leonard, which I was a little bit surprised by. You think we'd start Catherine here against such a threatening team. But uh, we started Mac, which was a little surprising, especially uh, she actually did pitch during the Arkansas game. They put her in, and they immediately pulled her out. I think somebody got a home run right off of her. I think it was like one or two pitches she threw. So putting her back in as the starting pitcher in this game really showed that, hey, we have confidence in you. We think that you can do it, but also we're going to throw them a little bit of a, I mean, if you will, a curveball. Because, I mean, this isn't a girl that you think's going to pitch against the number two team. But she went in, and she actually she went in for four innings, only allowed one hit, faced 13 batters. I mean, it was incredible. She was doing great. Everybody was rallying. Um, but we pulled her in the fifth inning, which was a moment of confusion for me. I was concerned because she was doing so well. You think when your pitchers are doing well that you're not going to pull them, obviously. But I, I'm thinking Alameda's mindset here was, hey, you, this UCLA team has seen her for four innings straight. They're going to adjust. They're going to come swinging. And they did. We put in Emma Wilson for this one, for the fifth inning. And I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest Emma Wilson fan. Now, she does have the experience. She's a senior, but she's not your situation pitcher. She's really not. She's not the girl to put in in a critical spot like this. So right after Emma Wilson's put in, she throws two pitches, and they get an immediate double off of her, and Alameda pulls her. And it was we had a rally going. 
which was the scary part is we had a huge rally going and then they allow this crazy hit they put in royalty royalty quickly ends the inning but I checked the social media conversation after this game and I, I saw a lot of pitching lost this game and coaching lost this game and why did we pull Mac and then later in the game was why did we pull Reed because we put Reed in right after royalty and then we put in Sandercock because they were they were hitting Reed and then we put in the freshman Maddie Balk who that is only her second appearance in for FSU in season outside of preseason she did well in the preseason but that's her only her second appearance so I'm sure she was terrified there but I mean after that max switch that's when UCLA really got their rally and it was scary FSU did get two early runs to start the game off of uh, Taylor Tinsley in the second inning and it scared UCLA into switching into Shaw who we also got a double off of from Josie Muffley but then they put in their ace Megan Faramo who is a senior and the big scary UCLA girl that you want to watch out for uh, besides Garcia who pitched for the who we uh, batted against in the I believe the Women's College World Series a few years ago she she graduated out but we just couldn't adjust to her we couldn't get our bats up until I believe the I think it was the fifth or the sixth inning and UCLA quickly caught up to us uh, they got home runs I believe off of Sandra they just got critical hits off of Sandra Cock I believe it was doubles with girls on base and we couldn't come back until the sixth. We tied it up. They were leading us four to two. We tied it up four to four. But then um, they, yeah, they got us six to four. And FSU bats just couldn't come back. And then two final games of the weekend on Sunday. The first was a, a run rule win in just six innings, ten to two over Louisiana. Royalty almost went the distance, went five and two thirds on just a couple of runs. And then Mac Leonard gets the final out, and then Leonard at the plate, very big as well. Two home runs, five total runs batted in, and then the loss to finish it out Sunday night uh, on the big ESPN channel to Alabama. Sandercock getting the start in that one, five and a third, two earned runs. Uh, Kerr had a home run. The Knowles actually had the, the tying run at third base, but couldn't bring her home. Uh, and really the story of that one, uh, not being able to hit uh, Alabama pitching. Yeah, the Louisiana game was definitely a good rally, especially after that UCLA loss. You could tell a lot of people were bummed because we came so close. So run ruling Louisiana 10-2 uh, to in the sixth inning was amazing, especially with, like you said, all those fantastic hits that we saw off of Mac Leonard. And Mac Leonard was hitting well all weekend. Even the hits that didn't get her on base were phenomenal hits. They were just in the wrong spot. So having her get those two home runs was incredible. And yeah, Allison Royalty really pulled through for the Knowles here. I've come to really like her as a pitcher. I wasn't sure, but she, I, I had to remember, she is a transfer from Arizona State, which is Pac-12. She faced some hard teams because I wasn't too impressed with her ERA, but then I realized, I was like, hey, she is playing some tough competition. I'd say probably a little bit tougher than what we see in the ACC. But she's really doing well. And then the Bama loss, that was also a big game that everybody was looking forward to. I believe they said that FS, ESPN said that FSU was the biggest draw for Clearwater. You saw more yeah. FSU fans than you did, but you than anybody else. But you also saw a ton of Alabama fans. And the stands, just like for the UCLA game, they were packed out for this one. Everybody wanted to see Montana Fouts versus Catherine Sandercock, two of the biggest pitchers in NCAA D1 softball. But, uh, I mean, against this team... Neither team could really get bats going, and it was it was scary. The only runs that were scored were solo home runs, two from Bama and one from us off Janai Kerr, and it, man, it was tough. It was a nail-biting game because you really wanted just to see that comeback, but it didn't happen, and um, there was one moment in the game where I believe it was the, the second or the third inning that we had bases loaded, actually, and we had Michaela Edenfield come up to bat, and she struck out, and it was two outs. And Michaela Edenfield, I got to say, I wasn't too impressed with her this weekend. I believe she was one, according to ESPN, she was one for two during, I'm um, one for 12, sorry, in this Clearwater tournament. And that's crazy because last year she was the freshman to watch out for. She was your area 51, big, scary home run hitter, came up and hit, just lobbed the ball. And she had a downward slope last season. I think the pressure got to her. And this season she hasn't had a fantastic start. She's got a couple good hits, but that was those were against your Joanne Graff classic teams but this tournament she didn't produce like they needed her to they had her in the sweeping position which i mean is critical especially when you have bases loaded i mean that could have changed even a base hit would have changed the game for us just being able to tie it up another thing that i noticed was sandercock hasn't really been hitting her spots Mm. and a lot of people like i said earlier a lot of people have been hitting off of her so i'm wondering is she in a slump what's going on is everybody just adjusting to her or 
is she having an issues? One of the things that I heard from Beth Moens on ESPN when she was looking at the two home run hits that um, Bama got off of Sandra Cock was it looked like she was throwing a drop ball, but it was too high in the zone. So it was just, you know, mid-placed, perfect, easy to hit. Like missing a change-up high kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And uh, they just they capitalized on that. So I'm wondering, what is this? Like, what's to expect with Catherine, especially when you've got this McKenna Reed character coming out of nowhere. Well, I mean, she kind of had a little bit of a background. I believe she made two state records in Oregon for her high school. She actually brought her high school up to, I think, 23rd in the nation and set two records for, like, most strikeouts in a state championship game and most strikeouts in a game, period. But um, McKenna Reed only been in 13 innings for the Florida State Seminoles, and she's had 26 strikeouts compared to Catherine Sandercock pitching 29 innings but only having 23 that's a big difference, especially yeah. between a senior and a freshman. What are your thoughts on, on a grueling tournament like this? You play five games in four days, all against ranked opponents, uh, perhaps a, a chance to get a, a look early on and where you stack up, but that's that's a grueling start to your season. Oh, yeah. It's, it's tough, especially when you come off of easy teams and then you go into overplaying number 15, number 12, number 4, and number 2, and number 22, technically. But... That's tough, but I think it's good for their experience. It's a great early challenge, um, and it works to give you insight on this is what exists out here in NCAA D1 softball. This is what we need to look out for. This is who's going to be at the Women's College World Series, and I I think UCLA, maybe we'll see Bama there, but I think they're going to be there. So getting a good look at them is a good way to start, and I I think the girls need – I think they need losses. Last year they went 19 wins before they had their first loss. This year, I mean – this year was a lot different, obviously, that we already have three and only nine wins. That's tough, but this is what they need, especially after losing, I'd say, Danielle Watson and Sydney Sherrill. Those are critical losses that you have to make up for. You're right. It's going to be a tougher schedule in 2023, and this is just uh, the beginning. Noel started out with an easy, kind of no disrespect to the schools, but an easier tournament uh, hosting to begin the year, and it will be the same this weekend. UNF will come in Wednesday night at 6 and then the Unconquered Invitational Thursday through Saturday. Uh, Knowles will play Florida Gulf Coast twice, Lamar twice, and then finish off with Troy, uh, kind of getting uh, some more wins and uh, more of those stats back in the in the stat sheet. So that's where softball is right now at 9-3 and three on the season. Moving along to a team that is pretty much the exact opposite, that's the Florida State men's basketball team now. Riding a four-game losing streak, 8-20 and 20 on the season. They've lost seven of their last eight games. Started out with a 40-point loss at Clemson on Wednesday. That heartbreaking loss here in Tallahassee and, and Clemson sweeping the season series. Uh, the Tigers out-rebounded Florida State by 14. Clemson also goes 60% from the field. Knowles only 43% shooting. Matthew Cleveland was out. Uh, of that game. So Baba Miller gets the start, plays 28 minutes, has his best game as a Seminole, 12 points, six rebounds, and connected uh, from three, went three of four from beyond the arc. And then the 6-2 center hall leads Clemson with 20 points and was four of four on threes. The way Clemson shoots the ball is nuts, especially uh, some of those bigs they have that can shoot an impossible team to defend. And Florida State failing miserably in, in both attempts. And then uh, on Saturday against Boston College, not a very good Eagle team. Knowles lose that one, 75-69. to The N7 uniforms finally come out. I'm not sure if that was – no, I don't think it was the first time, but we haven't seen them. I think it's the third this season. I haven't seen them much this year. Yeah. Those, uh, those kind of turquoise uniforms. Florida State never led, even though it was only a six-point loss. The Knowles never led in the game. Boston College was up by as many as 19 points. That was 38-19 to 19 with just two minutes to go in the first half, so it was an uphill battle really the whole way through. One of the worst shooting performances of the year, just a dreadful 30.5% from the field for Florida State. 18 of 59, just 3 of 17 from 3 as well. Only four assists the whole game, not a lot of great ball movement. Caleb Mills shoots 21 free throws, gets the line, makes 17 of the 21, ends up with 27 points, 7 boards, uh, and both bigs for Florida State. Baba Miller, who got 15 minutes, Cam Corn with 30. They both foul out of the ball game. 
So uh, another 0-2 week for Florida State. Not a great way uh, to end their season with only three games left to go. Yeah, and you know, at, at this point in the season, you're kind of just, I guess, trying to stop the bleeding. Um, you know, I believe by win percentage, uh, this Florida State team has the chance to be the worst uh, basketball team uh, in program history. So, um, Scotty, come back. Yeah, please. Scotty, Trent Forrest, <laughs> Kevin Gale, uh, wherever you are. Um, please help. I think you you might have some some years of eligibility left. I'm not entirely sure. COVID year, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Scotty definitely does. Um, so, man, uh, who who would have thought though at the beginning of the year that you know they'd lose to Stetson? Who would have thought you know that Troy? Troy. I mean, who yeah, thought? He, I mean, um, who who would have thought they'd go one and nine? Um, I think the positive part of this season is they showed some sort of fight in the conference. Obviously, the conference isn't. Uh, great this year, uh, especially with teams like UNC who start off the season at number one and might not even make the tournament. Um, but man, it, it's just it's just incredibly weird to watch. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, that first year under Willie Taggart with Florida State. It's just you know kind of not necessarily huge expectations, but you know expectations that after the previous season being know not so good that things were going to get turned around and they just weren't so um if you have to kind of look at this season i know there's two games left uh i guess the football team really was you know the result of the basketball team being bad you know florida State can't have two good things at once you gotta sacrifice one that's been that's, the general consensus around campus whew, you know uh kind of on that note you know the student union was finished and the football team did get better so uh <laughs> Maybe that curse that, you know, Scott, guys like Scott Clemens told us about is real. But who knows? The union curse. Only one game for the men this week. They'll go down to Coral Gables to play Miami, number 15 in the land. They're fighting for, for that first seed in the conference tournament. So that's a game they need bad. That's, that's a tough spot Saturday at 4 p.m. Uh, and so to finish off on a good note, though, the Florida State women's team, number 24 in the country, bounced back in a big way with a 2-0 and week, now 22-7 and overall in the year, 11-5 and in conference, just two games back of first. A 78-65 to win over Syracuse on Thursday. It was just a two-point game, 67-65 with four minutes to go. Knowles close out on an 11-0 dominating run. Simpson with a double-double, 17 and 14. Latson had 19 points. Uh, the Orange only shot 34%. And then on Sunday, senior day, the final re- uh, regular season home game, we, they may host in the tournament, but Knowles 80 to 66 over Georgia Tech. Won the turnover battle by seven. Tech actually led by three at the end of the first quarter, but uh, Florida State dominates the rest of the way. Tania Ladson, another big game for her, gets her 10th Rookie of the Week, which is now an ACC record, 31 points. And so uh, I know Wyckoff was was big on how her team was going to respond after an 0-2 week a couple weeks ago, and, and they, they, get, they take care of business uh, their last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, these two wins are huge, Florida State. Um, like you just said, those were the first two back-to-back losses because, I mean, Again, like you said, Brooke Wyckoff was so adamant on how do you respond to challenges. And for most of the season, this team was able to because they didn't lose two in a row until just recently. So I think these two back-to-back wins are huge for Florida State. Um, I mean, Tania Latson, we could talk about her for an entire show. I don't know. Is it too early to ask the question? Will we see her next year? God, I hope so. But, I mean, her draft stock is so high right now with how well she's been doing. So we'll see about that. But I think... Obviously, we want to focus on what's going on now before we get into any of that. Yeah, uh, Ladson right now averaging 22 points a game. That's seventh most in the entire country. What a freshman season for her. And also K.K. Timpson uh, averaging 13.5 points a game, nine boards a game, 12 double-doubles in just 29 games this year. Quite a dominating season, I think. If not for Latson, kind of overshadowing with her stardom, there would be a lot more talk about Timpson, and she's been crucial. And just a quick mention to the the four seniors that were honored uh, yesterday, Taylor O'Brien, uh, Jazz Massengill, Aaron Howard, and Valencia Myers. Key players. I mean, Massengill has started nearly every game. Howard has started every game. And then Myers and O'Brien, big off the bench for Florida State this season. They're, they're all uh, key players that will be missed 
uh, moving forward. Next week ahead, uh, Knowles meet a couple of teams for the second time at Wake Forest Thursday at 6, at Clemson Sunday at 2. Both of those games were near 30-point wins earlier in the season, so looking to close out on a strong note and maybe uh, play into some seeding, some home games for the NCAA tournament in uh, what is officially year one for for head coach Brooke Wyckoff. But we're now at the top of the hour, so that closes us out here for Tomahawk Talk. Uh, New release is coming up next. I'm glad to have you along uh, for myself, William Haynes, co-host Jackson Bakich, Amanda Golson, and Maddie Branning, our producer behind the glass, Jack Oliaro. Uh, this is WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.